Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Dear mother and father, I've gone away to walk aboard an alien spaceship as reoccurring dreams assure it a 42-month interstellar voyage to explore the vast universe, then return. I'm leaving behind all my possessions to you as I will no longer require the use of any. Please use the instructions in my will as a guide to help. Love, Granger This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. And the letter that you heard read at the top of this episode was left for the parents of Granger Taylor. Granger was 32 years old and still lived with his parents. He dropped out of school in the 8th grade, but he was a mechanical genius. He found an abandoned locomotive in the forest and restored it to its former glory. The province of British Columbia purchased the steam engine for tour and display. He also purchased and restored a vintage Kitty Hawk warplane, which sold for over $20,000 in 1981. Granger eventually grew bored of earthly engines and shifted his focus to UFOs. He built a flying saucer replica from scrap metal and spent hours in the ship, obsessing over the mechanics of interstellar travel. He read hundreds of books and papers on UFO encounters and space travel. Granger came to believe that he'd been contacted telepathically by extraterrestrials. He talked frequently with his friends and family about these communications, even explaining he'd been invited to go on an interstellar voyage at the end of the month. His friends later said they thought he was talking about a series of dreams he had had. But... On the evening of November 28, 1980, hurricane-force winds ripped through Vancouver Island. Granger and his 1972 pickup truck were gone the following morning. All that remained was the letter he'd left for his parents, along with all his possessions and life savings. Despite many searches, he's never been found. Did he drive into the wilderness and commit suicide? Was he swept away in his truck by the horrible storm that night? Or did he leave on an interstellar voyage? Today, I talk with Tyler Hooper, 
Hooper is a freelance reporter and journalist. His article on the Granger-Taylor case inspired a brand new documentary titled Spaceman, currently available through the CBC in Canada. Hooper runs us through the entire string of events that led to Granger's disappearance, who Granger was through the eyes and hearts of his friends and family, and the truths we tell ourselves in the midst of the harder truths right in front of our eyes. Here's our conversation with Tyler Hooper. Tyler, thank you so much for joining me today on Somewhere in the Skies. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. So I uh, I recently watched a documentary called Spaceman because I literally consume anything having to do with UFOs, you know, <laughs> alien contact, and I came across a documentary that you were in, um, being one of the lead reporters on the case we're going to talk about today. And um, we're going to be talking about Granger Taylor and what happened to him. But before we, we kind of get to that, could you maybe tell us a little about yourself? Like what kind of work you do, where you're located, and uh, yeah, why we're going to be talking to you today, man. Yeah, so my name is Tyler, and I'm located uh, in uh, beautiful British Columbia up in Canada on the West Coast. I'm actually on Vancouver Island, uh, not far from Seattle, to give the uh, your U.S. audience a little bit of a reference point in, mm-hmm. a, uh, in a decently sized, smaller city called Victoria, B.C., uh, kind of at the southern point of Vancouver Island. Uh, Granger Taylor actually only lived about an hour. Of a hour away, so that's kind of how I found out about the story. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm a freelance writer and journalist. Uh, I have a day job in government, but uh, as much as I can, I try and write about uh, stories that interest me. I like to write feature stories and really uh, sink my teeth into something. So I've written about six or seven uh, features for Vice Canada and Vice US now. Uh, I've done a little bit of work with the CBC, as, as you mentioned in the introduction, and uh, a few other outlets. So uh, I guess that probably succinctly describes uh, uh, my side hustle. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We all have the side hustle, and uh, you know, yours ultimately led to this awesome documentary. So, I guess my question for you is: with Granger Taylor now, growing up in proximity to him, had you heard about this story before you really started digging into it? What what prompted you to want to write about it before we uh, we really get into what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I uh, I should have done a better job of my introduction. I'm actually originally from Ontario, which isn't actually that far from New York. Mm-hmm. I moved out to the West Coast about five years ago, so I I, I had no idea, you know, about Granger or Van- really Vancouver Island or anything that was going on out here until I moved out here about four years ago uh, to Vancouver Island and. Honestly, it's a really weird story how I found out about Granger. I was literally working in, at a TV company at the time, and it was a really slow, rainy day, nothing going on. And I was literally sitting at my computer just kind of sneakily looking for my next side project, like just browsing Google and trying to find, you know, if there's any cool mysteries on, on Vancouver Island. So I was literally just doing, like, Google searches of, you know, mysterious people on Vancouver Island and, and things of that nature. And I stumbled across this blog called Mysterious Universe, and it had this story about this guy named Granger Taylor and how he may have gone to space and, you know, all of the uh, all of the kind of color around his disappearance. And I was blown away. At first, I thought, this isn't real. Like, this has to be made up or this is some sort of folklore. Uh, and I decided to look into it, and I eventually ended up getting in touch with uh, some of his family and friends and found out that this was actually real. Uh, and then from there, I was just, I was just hooked. Uh, it, you know, it's, now it's been almost... I'm going to say it's almost been four years that I've been in and out of Granger's story and, and his life to some degree. So, uh, yeah, it, it kind of pulls you in once you find out about Granger. And it hadn't really been covered before, so I was really excited to try and bring some uh, um, some levity to the story. 
Absolutely. I mean, when I when I saw the documentary and then eventually found your work, I mean, it was very hard to find anything else about all of this. Maybe some, you know, really obscure uh, UFO websites back in the angel fire days or whatnot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, when I saw that you'd written for Vice and um, for the CBC as well, I was like, all right, this this is this is legit. Like this isn't some folkloric UFO tale. It was serious. And that's when, when I found out about the documentary, the CBC actually did a documentary about this. So before we get to the story of Granger Taylor, how did the documentary come about, if I can ask? Yeah, of course. So yeah, I, uh, I guess I should have ended that last answer with saying, yeah, I did. It. I ended up pitching the Granger story to Vice. Okay. Uh, and it was my second feature um, that I was doing for them. So I was still pretty green as a writer as well. So um, you know, it was it was really exciting to find what I thought at the time was such a big story. Anyways, I pitched it to Vice. They said absolutely, like you know, if you can actually pull that off, that'd be amazing. So I spent about six months or so, maybe a little less, interviewing family and friends. The Vice article came out, I believe, I want to say it was June of 2016. Yeah, June 30th of 2016. And uh, yeah, and and then for a while after the article came out, I got some very general feedback, and uh, you know, a lot of people seemed really happy with the story. Uh, and it kind of disappeared for, off, off my radar for a while, and I went off and did a few other pieces uh, for Vice that were kind of unrelated. And then slowly over time, I kept having um, people contact me about Granger and his story. And there was a few other things that almost panned out before the CBC doc, but they kind of fell apart or I never really heard back from the people. So honestly, when CBC um, – it actually wasn't CBC who got in touch with me. It was a production company based out of Toronto – who said they were pitching the Granger story to CBC, but they were going to produce it. Uh, and again, I was pretty skeptical at first, only because it had happened a couple times before and it had completely fallen through. So uh, this was probably March of, of last year, I believe. Uh, yeah, it would have been March of last year, 2018. Yeah, and then surprisingly pretty quickly, uh, I, I stayed in touch with these people uh, at a production company in Toronto, and uh, they eventually just brought me on board and we we uh we started shooting it in uh for 10 days in i think it was early september and then they did a second block in october and it came out in february so it all happened very quick i'd never been a part yeah i'd never been a part of such a project um so it was amazing like all the prep work they did from march until august was uh was really really impressive but uh but yeah it just kind of happened out of the blue i got an email and then a few skype calls with people and then before i knew it i was um, you know, booking time off to go and uh, travel with these people to Duncan to, to shoot this thing. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I can relate, man. I just had a, a TV special air not too long ago on the Roswell UFO incident, and it all happened cool. within like a month, and it was a whirlwind. I, I'm sitting here yeah. today being like, wait, did that actually happen? Like, where did, where did I, where did my mind and body go for those last five days? So I know it moves very quick and, uh, it's clear that they did their research and they used a lot of what, what you had brought to the table. So I got to ask you kind of as the, I would say the lead reporter on this, what is the story of Granger Taylor? If you could, um, maybe give us kind of the brief summary of who this guy was, what happened, and uh, yeah, yeah, I'll let you paint that picture for us. Absolutely. Uh, well, at its surface, uh, Granger Taylor is the story of a master mechanic in my eyes who went missing on the evening of November 29th, 1980, leaving a very uh, mysterious note to his parents, basically saying that he was going on this 42-month interstellar voyage and that uh, he would be back at some point, but he no longer needed his possessions. Uh, and please use the instructions in my will as a guide to help. Very bizarre sort of note. 
Um, he goes missing. He's last seen that night around, uh, I think it's Bob's Grill or some sort of diner in Duncan. And then his pink Pepto-Bismol truck and him disappear uh, six months later. Or sorry, not six months, six years later in 1986, a logging crew uh, finds his truck uh, blown up on a nearby mountain. Uh, there's some debate over whether it's Mount Sicker or Mount Prevost, but they're very close to each other. So it's somewhere in that region, not very far actually from his family home. And uh, they're able to confirm that the VIN number matched Granger's truck, but everything else they find at the scene is is kind of circumstantial. Uh, they do find some bones, but there was no DNA testing back in 1986, or or if there was, it was only only being started to use in bigger markets like London and New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, ha- it hadn't reached uh, Little Vancouver Island yet, as far as I know. And uh, those bone fragments have since disappeared, or they're sitting in a storage locker, evidence locker somewhere that no one seems to know where. Um, but it's basically that's that's the surface of the story. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, he was a master mechanic who dragged a locomotive out of the woods and and restored it to to it actually working, and him driving it up and down his property on railroad tracks. Um, <laughs> he basically took this like P, what's it's like a P ninety or P forty Kitty Hawk. Uh, airplane World War II fighter and like I think basically with just a fuselage built the whole thing uh, almost to scale and it actually allegedly was able to fly a little bit and uh, and then obviously his kind of I guess what a lot of people consider his masterpiece or his last uh, big project was the spaceship he built uh, in the uh, backyard of his parents' house, or I guess the front yard, technically, uh, basically just using two big radio or satellite dishes and welding them together to create this spherical spaceship. You can see it, pictures of it, I believe, in the uh, CBC documentary as well as mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in my Vice article. But uh, really impressive, uh, eccentric kind of guy, really quiet and shy, uh, you know, not really particularly crazily outgoing. Um, but, uh, but I think in short, the story really lies in his disappearance. But I think as I started to dig beneath the surface of the story, I started to see this picture of this really potentially troubled and, um, interesting character. Yeah. And I definitely want to touch on that, you know, the, the troubled aspect, you know, I mean, we can't really understand, unfortunately, uh, Granger at this point and his his mental health state because he's gone. But that being said, like you guys were able to speak to a lot of family members and and friends. One of his really cr- close friends as well. And th- it's funny the the images of the the flying saucer or the spacecraft that he created. I've seen those around for years and years, and I never knew who made it, what it was connected to. And then when I finally find out that this was the case it was connected to, uh, it just made it all that more interesting to me. So, uh, okay, so November 29th, 1980, this is the night when Granger was said to have disappeared. And you said that's kind of like the big part of all this. So can you paint us a picture of what happened on the night of November 29th? So there's a lot of a lot of what I will say is uh, conjecture to a lot of people because there are little... There, there are some facts that we, we can kind of attribute and say maybe, you know, 90 to 95 percent they happen. But there's a lot of conflicting testimony from friends and family on, on what happened that night. But from what we from what I know, and I'm pretty sure is certain, is that at some point um, around 6, 536, dinner time ish, he, he went to this diner and hung out with some people and, and people saw him there, uh, Bob's Grill, and then he kind of took off. Uh, some claim that night that there was a really violent storm 
uh, happening. Some people like swear by it, that, that it's ingrained in their brain because of how violent it was. Some of the weather reports I've looked at have suggested otherwise, uh, but it's really hard to know exactly uh, what was going on that night. Other people say that Granger went and visited some family and friends and, and said some really mysterious things that he was leaving on an interstellar voyage and, uh, you know, here, look after my stuff. Uh, said his goodbyes to some people and then just kind of fled. No one really knew where he was going or what he was doing. Um, I don't think everyone took him that seriously because Granger was always kind of up to some bizarre stuff, right? Like someone who's going to go into the woods and pull a train out and do all this sort of stuff. Like he was always being a little uh, eccentric in that way. So I don't think too many people thought much of it until um, I believe it was that night or the following morning um, that his parents became concerned. And they started searching for Granger. And once they couldn't find his bright pink truck, they became really worried. And then I believe at some point over those next few days, those next few hours, they filed a police report in the RCMP. Um, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police got involved in a search for him. Uh, but they, but from the police reports, um, which is almost illegible because it's all handwritten, uh, but from what you can gather from it, it doesn't sound like there's, they're really sure what Granger was doing that night. He visited some places, met with some people, but really nothing was out of the ordinary other than potentially one visit he had uh, with, with one of his friends where he kind of told him that he was saying goodbye. But but again, you know, that's one person's memory, and, and I can't confirm it happened as they say it did, but it sounds like it's pretty probable that he was saying his goodbyes. Um, one of the stranger things, though, leading up to that night is that, like, when I first started looking at the story, and, and you just hear what I just kind of said, you're like, oh, this sounds very spur of the moment. Like, mm-hmm. he kind of maybe decided to do this that day. But the weird part is, is when you go back and look at when he wrote his will, and when he crossed out the word, um, I think it was, like, dead, and he wrote departed or something like that, uh, it was, like, six months previous so that tells me that Granger had been thinking about um, leaving in one way or another for a little while. Um, and I don't know why he decided to pick that night, um, but he did. And uh, no one ever, well, no one has ever publicly said they've seen him again. Interesting. So th- this all was probably planned then, in a way. I think so. I, I, I find a hard time now. When I first wrote the Vice article, you know, I did I did, <laughs> I did an okay job of digging into the story, but um, it wasn't until the CBC doc started happening and I really kind of got back into it that I really started to change a lot of my thoughts on, on what happened to Granger, and I think he did plan it. And that is kind of when I personally felt and saw this underlying um, layer in Granger that was maybe a little troubled or maybe a little bit of a misfit. Uh, I got a tinge of that the first time around, but I was really focused kind of on the the UFO alien aspect because, you know, I think that's what my readers wanted to read. That was the the most interesting part of the story. But as I kind of went around the second time with Granger and was really looking into his story, um, there was this sense that he was planning this maybe and that, um, you know, he, he, he was just looking for the right time. One of his good friends, Robert Keller, um, who's in the documentary, who's great yeah. uh who really who really really knew granger who was really close to him he says uh and he's told me both i think he said this on camera as well but granger was talking about you know having communication with these extraterrestrials and taking off months before it actually happened so for him it wasn't really all that surprising i mean it was sad and it, it crushed him but i think robert kind of expected it to happen at some point so that to me also says that you know he was telling people about this um, long before it happened. And I think most people dismissed it as just Granger being his eccentric self. But I think people like Robert understood that, you know, maybe Granger was planning something and maybe he did think he was going on an actual voyage. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Keller even says, you know, oh, I want to go with you, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such a good friend. Exactly. 
And yeah, exactly. And he wasn't able to, unfortunately. You know, Granger tells him, you know, I, I, this is something I got to do myself. So it's 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 very interesting. You know, it's heartbreaking in a way, his best friend in this, um, having to relive this through the documentary and and uh, maybe find some truths that that he didn't want to uh, to believe either. But um, like you said, the more you dug into this, the more troubled it seems that that Granger may have been. And, um, you know, we learned that maybe he had some problems with maybe depression or or drugs or any stuff like that. Uh, did, did you come across any of that in your own research? Yeah, absolutely. Um and it's very controversial. Uh, the family is obviously very sensitive about uh, the whole the whole drug angle. But from a, from someone who was outside of that and emotionally kind of detached from that, uh, and was more looking at the evidence, it looks like. Well, to, to start with the mental health aspect, um, the family that I talked to seemed to agree that um, like Granger's family did suffer with certainly uh, depression at times. Uh, I think it's pretty fair to say that Granger behaved in a pretty depressive way at times. Just. Uh, given friends accounts of some of the interactions they had um beyond that like i don't think you know i never heard of granger having a temper um or anything like that but it did sound like he could be pretty withdrawn and pretty uh, melancholy to the drugs angle it sounds like it's pretty certain i think that he smoked a lot of pot Uh, i mean robert keller talks openly about him and granger getting in that spaceship and basically hotboxing it um and just like watching you know just watching movies in there or reading books and magazines and talking about space and you know just just doing what people did before the internet you know actually hanging out and and uh you know just talking about stuff and um you know hanging out like that's that's what people did right uh it's also alleged uh that he was maybe taking acid uh there is a letter actually that was written by uh, I think it was Granger's cousin that kind of says you know Granger and a bunch of friends were dropping acid last summer no bad trips but you know they did do it quite a bit or something to that extent uh, so that's you know to me that was like a, a primary document you know d- that you know documents uh, Granger allegedly doing acid there was rumors that he was doing other drugs as well but I I don't know like that stuff is um, I don't really want to go into it too much just because I don't think it holds a lot of weight and. Um, I think, I think if anything, given the circumstances, like Granger telling his neighbors that he was getting, you know, interstellar communications with somebody else in another galaxy, that sounds to me like maybe a psychedelic um, experience or interpretation of his reality, maybe mixed with a mental health episode. Um, you know, it's it's hard to really say because, like you said, we, we can't sit Granger down today and ask him about it because no one knows where he is. It's kind of, it's all conjecture, but at the same time, too, I think it is important to bring those subjects up when talking about his disappearance because I think both, if not one of them, certainly played a factor in, in his belief that he thought he could um, go to outer space. Do you enjoy true stories of the supernatural from the people who experienced it? Well, then you might like my show, Jim Harold's Campfire. Hi, I'm Jim, and we've been doing the show since 2009. And we talk about ghosts, cryptic creatures, UFOs, head scratchers, you name it. And you tune in and you might hear a story like this one. And as he was driving home, he encountered a shadow person who seemed to be dressed like a monk. I know that sounds very strange, um, but it was a solid black form and it was wearing a hooded cloak tied at the waist with the cloak up and it had glowing red eyes. He sees this thing coming out of a really teeny abandoned cemetery 
If you haven't tuned in, I hope you'll check us out. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are heard. It's Jim Harold's Campfire, and you can find it at jimherald.com. Thanks so much, and stay spooky. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. We run across this a lot in the quote-unquote UFO field, the, the whole abduction phenomenon and contactee phenomenon, is these, these individuals who claim to get messages from E.T. or uh, to, to have made contact with them, and it's always this message of, oh, well, I, I have a purpose, I have this sense of meaning to these beings, and that's why they're communicating with me. So you have to wonder... Someone like Granger, who seemed like, unfortunately, kind of a lonely dude. And yeah. um, was this his way of coping with that loneliness? You have to wonder. I think, I think, yeah, I think there is something to that. I also think the more I dug into it, I think Granger also was just like kind of an obsessive person in that, uh, you know, like, I think you have to be like, if you're going to, ha- if you're going to commit to hauling a locomotive out of the woods, like literally... <laughs> finding an old logging train that is not working and like basically welding this big truck together. So you can even pull this locomotive out of the woods. Like that's, that's an obsessive project. Like there's no way you're going to get that done unless you obsess about it. And I think he certainly did that with um, the train, even his first single cylinder car that he built when he was younger, when he was a teenager and then the Kitty Hawk and then the spaceship. So I think it was just part of Granger's personality to get a little obsessive. And I think with the, um, with the spaceship, I think that was the beginning of this obsession 
um, or it was kind of maybe the climax of his of his, his obsession with UFOs and aliens. And you got to remember too, and I'm sure your listeners know this because they're they're big fans of this stuff. But in the 60s and 70s, when Granger was in his formative years, um, you know, this stuff was huge in pop culture, sure. right? Like, Movies are coming out, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Star Wars, Star Trek, all these, uh, you know, the Roswell, uh, um, you know, uh, the famous Roswell incident yep. happens around that time and all these other sightings and, and alleged abductions. So, you know, without the Internet, I think it would have been um, really exciting to see this stuff in magazines and on TV. And, um, you know, if you're smoking pot and hanging out with your buddies, like that's that's one way to kind of, I think, really get into that world. And then, I like I said, I don't know. I think something switched in Granger, um, you know, with this whole, this whole notion of him being able to communicate with another galaxy, um, whether that was drugs, mental health, or maybe it was just, he just thought he really could. I mean, that's another option, right? Like maybe he just really thought that he could cope or he could, um, talk to someone in another galaxy. And maybe that was part of coping with his loneliness, right? Having that output. Um, so that's totally a possibility as well. And, um, I think it is kind of sad. I also think, I think Granger, like going back to like the fitting in thing, I don't think he really did fit in. I mean, he did, he there certainly had friends and he had people come over and people were always envious of the projects he was working on, neighbors in the community. And he was definitely a character in his community. So it wasn't like he was a complete hermit, um, even though when he was working on his projects, he certainly would basically just hole up at his parents' house. Um, they have a beautiful, huge property um, that's still there to this day that has tons of space to work on these massive projects. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, but I think he was a bit of an oddball, you know, I and mean, he painted his truck Pepto-Bismol pink and drove it around town. And, you know, people would, you know, kind of make comments and make fun of him sometimes. And I think I think there was a feeling uh, for Granger that he didn't quite fit in. And, and this is a really working class town at the time, too, um, that, you know, probably wouldn't have been all that um, uh, forgiving or not forgiving, but all that accepting of someone really, really different. Not to right. not to stereotype too much, but I think it's fair to say that. Um, you know, not everyone would have been a fan of Granger's eccentricities, essentially. Right. And, you know, it's it's interesting in the documentary, at least, you you get a sense of that from the locals in the town, you know, asking them, what did you think of Granger in these stories? And it really ran the gamut. Some people thought he was nuts. Some people are like, oh, I totally believe he probably went out into space. Like, if anyone was to be chosen to do that, this would be the guy. He was a, a engineering genius, as it were. So... Yeah, it, it is interesting, this kind of um, mythos he uh, maybe didn't even purposefully try to do, this mythos he created around himself in the town. And maybe the more, the, the deeper he got, the, the more pressure he felt to, like, do something completely, you know, paradigm shifting. Who, who knows, really? Absolutely, I agree. I think, um, you know, like you said, the, the interviews in the documentary with those local people really kind of summarize the the, pol- the the kind of the bipolarity that come with Granger's story and that, like, some people think he was a mechanical genius and other people thought he was absolutely nuts. Um, and I'm sure there's some people who think he was somewhere in between and I'm kind of on that boat as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really, really fascinating, the polarity surrounding his... Uh, um, it just just his his mythos, like you said, it, it is really fascinating. So, I mean, in terms of okay, the 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 theories on what happened to him, um, right. what what were some of the like the big ones you came across, Tyler? The biggest theories that I came across that are kind of worth discussing in detail. Uh, I think the first one that gets you hooked on the story is this idea that he did go to space. And, uh, you know, I kind of in my CBC piece, which is not a, um, um, as the comments would have it, it is not an investigative piece. It's just a blog post. 
that I was asked to write as kind of a um, like what were my thoughts on you know Granger Taylor after having done all this work with on him and basically I kind of summarized it being as like you know it could have been you know it could have been probably suicide like I think the note to his parents can be interpreted as a suicide note um, just in in the way it's worded. And if you read it a few times, there's this sense that he's not coming back, but he's trying to give, leave hope that he might. And then you could, you know, you could split that theory into two branches. One saying he knew what he was doing and, you know, he decided that enough was enough and that he was going to maybe try to go to space in his own ways to find a better reality. Or maybe he was in some mental health crisis mixed with some drug, some drug psychosis that, made him really believe that he was going to go and blow his truck up and, and go on this interstellar voyage, uh, but, but killing himself in the, in the process. So those are two predominant theories. Uh, I mean, especially given the, the truck, I mean, the night that he went missing, a bunch of dynamite um, was missing from the family property. And it's not, it wasn't unusual for the family to have dynamite because back then um, in, a, in a really rural setting, that's how you would blow up tree stumps. And that's how you would clear uh, really difficult, difficult areas for, you know, farming or, or whatever. Um, and Granger, Granger used this stuff all the time. And apparently he was very good with it. So he knew how to handle it, knew how to use it. Um, you know, it wasn't like he, he would have taken a bunch of dynamite. I mean, it could have accidentally gone off. I mean, he did go up on a really rough logging road on a night that was allegedly really stormy. So, I mean, uh, wet dynamite is really unstable. So, uh, you know, that could have happened. But from the sounds of it, the way the truck was found and where it was found in such a remote area, it sounds like the blast was probably triggered. Mm. Um, and it pretty much demolished the car. Like there was basically all the truck, sorry, the pickup truck. Um, there was basically hardly anything but the engine block and a few scraps of metal to really identify the, uh, the, the truck with. So I think that's a pretty prominent theory. I think the going to space one um, is really interesting in that I think if anyone could do it um, after having studied Granger – it probably could have been him. I mean, I, I, I'll admit I'm a bit of a skeptic when it comes to that sort of thing. But, I mean, who knows, right? No one knows. I mean, that's yeah. why there are so many books and movies and podcasts about the about this stuff because we don't really have an answer. Uh, so I think it's definitely possible. I think other theories that are a little less credible um, but are still interesting – one is that apparently he, he has a friend who was a pilot and they used to go flying all the time. And they actually got in a really bad plane crash uh, in the States. Uh, they both actually survived it miraculously. But uh, this friend of Granger's had like what I believe, and I'm not, I'm not an aviation expert, but I believe it was like just a little Cessna. And they would, they would often go to uh, like metal and, and trade shows down in the U.S. where Granger would find, you know, weird stuff that he could work on or, or you know, bring back to the property. And, and uh, him and his friend would fly around and do this. And... You know, there are rumors that maybe he, he took off, you know, with someone or by himself to South America or, you know, somewhere somewhere south. You know, I don't think Granger was a pilot, so I don't know how he would have done that on his own. And, and his friend that I've talked to has never admitted to, to helping Granger leave the country in any way. But uh, people have talked about that. I mean, there are even, like, crazier theories that um, he was recruited by the government um, to work on some special projects because of his mechanical genius. Mm. Uh, you know, I've seen zero evidence to support that, but I guess if the government was going to recruit you, they wouldn't leave any breadcrumbs uh, for a secret project, right? So, I mean, it just depends on how far you want to go down the rabbit hole. I mean, for me, and maybe this is like my my more pragmatic and maybe slightly um, darker nature, but I think it's, it's probably more likely that to some extent, uh, Granger committed suicide on that mountain, um, whether he, he knew what he was doing or not, uh, based on his state of mind, uh, no one will ever know. But 
um, it's pretty certain to me that um, the likelihood of that being the number one scenario is is is, is pretty likely. I think um, not to dismiss all the other ones, but just having spent so much time with the evidence and looking at the police reports and and everything else and, and the coroner's uh, inquest, that uh, it's pretty hard to to come up with any other solid theories based on facts. I guess. I, I want to come away from this kind of feeling the same way too, Tyler. But I mean, it, it's hard. There's so much mystery still wrapped around it. And, you know, he was an enigmatic guy and we may never know what happened until he possibly comes back, if that were the case. Um, Absolutely. But that being said, too, I mean, kind of the way the documentary ends with, you know, family members kind of giving their final thoughts on what they think happened, you are left thinking, unfortunately, that this guy either accidentally took his own life or, or purposefully did it. But like you said, we just don't know. And the whole the whole alien aspect behind all of it, or contact, or going to space, it leaves us with promise. And I think even one of the people in the film says that, like, this note he left for his parents was just, there was so much promise in it. But, but exactly. I, I can't go with that. So it's, it's heartbreaking yeah. in so many ways. It is heartbreaking. And it's also, like, for me, and, um, you know, one of the hardest things about doing the documentary was the family's reaction because the family was very split, even on wanting to do the documentary. There were people that didn't even are in it because they just didn't want to do it, which is, which is, you know, totally understandable. It's a painful topic, you know, to, to someone like myself or you, who's an outsider, it's, it's more of an interest in a story, but, um, you know, for these people, this was a relative, this was a sibling, this was a son or whatever. Right. So it's a, it was a lot more difficult to see the family. Like I think some of them want to just believe that he is at rest and he is gone, while others are hanging on to the, to the notion that um, he may still come back. I mean, the family property is still in the family, and I think the person who has it is kind of hoping that one day, like maybe he will show up. Um, you know, and I, that's really sad in its own way, in its own right. So. Yeah, it is. It is. It is really, really heartbreaking. I think you're right, though. I think hanging on to that idea of, you know, because to me, and I tried to do this in my CBC blog post, but it was really, really, I was really burnt out um, when they when they wanted me to write this. It was like a week before the release of the documentary, so I didn't really have as much time as I would have liked to flush out my actual thoughts on Granger. But you know, I was really trying to wrestle with the idea of space being an open concept of like maybe Granger didn't see it so black and white like some of us do where it's like space is like where you know black holes and planets are and maybe extraterrestrials but more maybe to him it was some sort of new beginning you know maybe he had this sense that wherever he was going there might be more purpose in his life or there might be some greater good that he could do I don't know I mean it's a really abstract concept space to begin with when you go beyond just the scientific kind of approach of you know what it what it is but um, because we don't know a lot about it and we don't know a lot about the afterlife um if you worry if there is, is one it's really hard to say you know what granger was thinking and, and and why but i do believe in granger's mind there there was some philosophical um thinking going on around that uh just just given how eccentric and smart this guy was i can't see him being so black and white about it but i mean maybe that's just me holding on to hope you know because we all wrestle wrestle with that question you know what is the meaning and purpose of our lives oh, absolutely. And, and i and I think that's maybe 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 I've gone too far into the Granger story where I'm starting to believe that that's how deep Granger was. And really, maybe it was a lot simpler for him. I don't know. Um, but I guess that's kind of where I hold on to hope is that maybe he was really wrestling with the question of, you know, what is the purpose of life? And, you know, what whatever he chose to do was what he thought was his purpose and his 
I don't know, his, the way that he wanted to end or, or start something anew. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's really difficult to, because again, it's just total conjecture, but that's kind of what I wrestle with, I guess, with the Granger story is that his, why did he do it? You know, yeah. and that's constant, that's constantly what I think about. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I mean, one of my good colleagues, uh, a podcaster named Jim Harold always says, you know, not everyone in their life is going to see a UFO or uh, a spirit is going to visit them or, you know, they're going to see Bigfoot, but everyone dies everyone dies we all have that in common and it's it's what you do in that time and what meaning you give your life and what you think might come next so i I have to agree with you that 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 abstract concept of what might be next and how will that affect what i'm doing right now that we can all relate to that so i i totally get it and whatever granger was thinking or feeling he he probably was. He's probably wondering, you know, am I actually going to go into space or what is that? And yeah, exactly. It's fascinating. It really is. I mean, he he's taught us so much in in this. <laughs> At least that's what I took from the film is, uh, you know, what what does come next and how can we what can we take positive from this unfortunate story? Yeah, and I think I'm really glad that you found that deeper layer to the story because I think for a lot of people, and this is not a judgment because, I mean, it is a story that on a surface level is just very intriguing on its own, right? Like the whole Granger saga is just from the disappearance to the projects, the spaceship, like all of that is just fascinating on its own. But when you do peel away the first kind of surface layer, which I, which only kind of happened to me um, with the, the, the process of doing the CBC doc – was this whole other layer that kind of was a lot deeper and more nuanced in philosophy, or I thought anyway. And it's nice that someone like yourself who has just seen the documentary is taking that away as well, because that's really what, you know, that's really where the crux of the story is for me. You know, I really grappled with the idea of even writing a book about this, but I think the problem with that from my perspective is that it's too, it's a real person, you know, it's, it's not, this isn't an abstract idea or, or a fictional story where, um, you know, you can use allegory or certain sort of literary styles to, uh, to, to talk about your philosophy. It's like, this was a real person and I would never want to do a disservice to the family by, um, you know, doing something that's going to, to hurt them or, or, you know, tar- in their eyes, tarnish the, the, the memory they have of Granger. So I think at this point I'm pretty much, you know, just going to move on to something else and, uh, you know, let that lie. But it's it's still I come back to it all the time. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that there's constantly that philosophical um, draw to to, you know, Granger's thoughts about life and, and, you know, the actions that he took and what he did. So, yeah, it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> it's, it's, it a, it's layer after layer. Really, it is. It's one of those stories. So I'm glad you took that away when you when you saw the documentary. It was a great film i highly suggest people check it out check out your vice article that really did catapult all of this so um where where can we find your work tyler and what are you doing these days man besides uh reliving the the granger taylor mystery (laughs) (laughs) uh you can find my work uh well you can just go to vice and tyler hooper you can search and all my articles will come up i have a website uh tylerhooperw.com i'm on twitter at tyhooper8 um so you can find a lot of stuff there uh if you're in the u.s i'm not sure how you can see the documentary yet i think it is coming out to the u.s at some point but it's um, available in canada on the cbc pov docs website uh, but like I said, I think they are planning to do a U.S. release at some point. So 
Um, I'll keep you updated on that. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of uh, I'm in a weird spot. I mean, I, I it was really strange for me. I started a new government job right after the the documentary, the CBC doc, um, and that's been taking up a lot of my time. And then. Uh, I've been working on a few. Well, I've been doing interviews about the, the Granger story, which has been great because it's kept it uh, fresh and alive in my mind. Uh, and then I'm kind of working on um, something a little different now. I'm a bit of a history buff. Uh, and I've been over the last few years researching the shipwreck off the um, west coast of Vancouver Island. That's got some really weird folklore and mythology. Um, you know, people claim it's a ghost ship now. Mm. Uh, yeah, and it's kind of um, it's it's very interesting in a lot of ways. So I'm, I'm kind of playing with that, and I think actually I might. Um, I might actually try doing a podcast on it and then uh, maybe try writing a book or something of that nature. But, uh, yeah, I'm kind of in that transitionary period. I think any creative person or anyone who needs uh, outputs on the side, you go through those phases where, uh, you know, you're kind of looking for the next thing to to get sucked into. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So and and like the Granger, you know, the Granger shoot was really intense. I mean, it was basically 10 days straight almost of shooting and long days and um, very, very emotional and very challenging at times. So it did drain a lot out of me. And then, uh, you know, just going through a lot of personal life changes as well. I mean, it's 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 been a lot in the last few months. So I think I'm, uh, I'm going on vacation this Friday. So I think once I get back from that i'll i'll have a better answer as to what's next but i'm still kind of i'm still kind of got the pokers in the fire so to speak and, and gonna see which one is uh is the uh is the brightest or the hottest and uh you know kind of go from there but uh but uh yeah i mean that's that's essentially it i mean i would love to find another story um like granger someday i think the human interest pieces are some of the most fascinating ones and i think you know when you write about someone who's so unique i think a lot of people um, you know, they don't maybe know it, but they can identify with that person in a strange way. And it can, uh, it can really lead to some, uh, some interesting internal dialogue with yourself. And that's, that's what I really enjoy. So, so hopefully I'll, I'll, you know, I'll find someone, um, else to, uh, maybe study a little bit at some point. (laughs) Absolutely, man. Well, um, a vacation well-deserved and I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Um, whether it is the shipwreck or something else, uh, these stories have so much mystery and, and, um, you know, they're very alluring, but at the end of the day, when you strip it away, we're all humans searching for meaning. And I think, uh, that's what this story really taught us. So I got to thank you for, for really digging into this and, uh, for coming on today and talking with us about this. No, I really appreciate it. And I really enjoyed it. So thank you, Ryan, for, for having me on. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to do it another time with something else. So, uh, you know, maybe I'll try and keep it in the UFO alien themed, uh, uh, corner so that I can come back on and talk to your listeners about that. So uh, thanks again. Absolutely, man. Hey, I'm always willing to uh, stretch my muscles too. So whatever comes next, uh, this will not be the last time you're on Somewhere in the Sky. So thank you again. Oh, thank you. That's it for this week's episode. A very special thank you goes out to Micah Hanks for his voiceover talents at the top of the episode. Check out all of his work over at MicahHanks.com. Spaceman is available to stream in Canada at cbc.ca. To stay updated on its potential U.S. release, follow the documentary on Twitter at SpacemanCBC. And be sure to follow Tyler Hooper's work at tylerhooperw.com. Please take a few moments to subscribe, rate, and review Somewhere in the Skies on Apple Podcasts or from whatever format you use to listen to the show. It helps us gain visibility and find new listeners. We're on Twitter at Summer Skies and Instagram at Summer Skies Pod. 
check out the merch store at tpublic.com and search for the Somewhere in the Sky store. That's teepublic.com. All past episodes, articles, news, and contact information can be found at the website, somewhereintheskies.com. And lastly, if you'd like to help the show out by becoming a patron, there are many levels available with many different rewards. To learn more and to literally help create the show, visit patreon.com slash skies. Thank you, as always, to the E1 Podcast Network, HelloFresh, Rogue Planet, and to you for listening. I'll see you here next week, and remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching for Granger somewhere in the skies. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.